Hey, I'm Gabriel Goldfeder. I'm a Jewish life consultant, a.k.a. Rabbi. It seems difficult, if not impossible, to fulfill the last of the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt not envy. It requires a person to control their thoughts and that desire that a person would have to own someone else's donkey seems to reside in that place in a person's consciousness which is before decision-making. I see it and I want it. I could then, of course, decide not to take any effort towards gaining it, but the fact that I want it already seems to be a violation of this mitzvah, lo tachmod, do not envy. Traditional sources, starting with the Mechilta, which is one of the oldest midrashim that we have on the Torah, comes to our defense and does in fact say that lo tachmod does mean not to make any effort towards gaining possession of that object. For example, I might try to convince my neighbor that his donkey is not as great as it seems to be, and there's a new model of donkey coming out soon, and he would be wise to sell me his donkey now so that he has cash available when the new model of donkey comes out. Or in the more serious realm, wherein the Torah includes among the mitzvah lotachmod, not to be jealous or to have envy, the envy that a person might feel for another person's spouse and actions a person might take in order to win over another person's spouse would certainly be included in the actions that a person would take and those actions would be covered by lotachmod. So in that sense, we'd be safe as long as I don't take action, even if I feel in my heart a certain desire to have possession of my neighbor's donkey or spouse. All I have to do is resist the urge to do anything about it, and I have not violated this tenth of the Tenth Commandments. But it's not so simple. In the second telling of the Ten Commandments, which is in the book of Devarim, in the Parsha called Ve'etchanan, it does include also the emotional or visceral response, lo do not want it. Not only should I not take actions to gain possession of that thing, I should also not even want it. How can a person change their constitution or control their constitution to the point where they don't even feel a desire for it? They don't even feel any desire to have it or to possess it. The Sephorno, one of the commentaries, the classic commentaries on the Torah, says about this tenth of the Ten Commandments in the first set that we find in the book of Exodus in Parshat Yitro, he says, Lo tachmod, do not have envy for it or desire or jealousy of it. The matter should be in your mind as something which is absolutely unavailable. Because something which is absolutely unavailable, a person will not experience this envy. He points out that there is some amount of control that we have in terms of how we look at this object or this situation, if there's a havamina, which is a Gemara phrase for any idea, any possibility 
that I could try to gain possession of it, that will then allow me to experience this feeling or this urge called lo tachmod, this desire, this envy, this jealousy. So when a person absolutely clarifies in their mind, this has nothing to do with me. There's just no way that I could have this thing that would prevent the person from feeling that kind of jealousy. Similarly, Rabbeinu Bachaye, who is another classic commentary on the Torah, says, Yadua, he said, it is known, ki this chemda is dependent upon the heart. This envy is dependent upon the heart. V'ikar ha-mitzvah, the primary way of fulfilling this mitzvah, that a person will literally and completely give up and despair on having any possession of what their friend has. Karko metaltalin, whether it's land or objects. Ve'yifne libo mina machshava, and the person will turn their heart away from this thought. Shaliach shovahem v'loyichmadim, that a person will think about it, and then they won't have any envy. So upstream of this moment in which I see my neighbor's donkey and feel a great desire to possess my neighbor's donkey, upstream of that, I will have decided already that whatever my neighbor owns is absolutely not related to me, has nothing to do with me. It's not mine. It's not within reach. It's not something I could strive for. It has nothing to do with me. I remember when I was in high school and I was at a party and I had a 12-string guitar that I had brought to the party, I wasn't a very good guitar player back then and I must have taken it out and played around with it and woke up the next morning to find that it was gone. It turned out that my friend's friend's brother had taken the guitar from me because they saw me playing it and they felt I was doing such a disservice to this guitar that really it should belong to someone who could make better use of the guitar. It's certainly possible that that person was a better guitar player than I was but this idea this thought of shaykhut, of relevance. This guitar doesn't belong to this person. This this guitar belongs in a certain meritocracy in which a person who is a better guitar player deserves this guitar. This person was walking in with that mindset and it was enough for them to envy and then steal my guitar. I did get it back. So according to these opinions, Sephorno and Rabbeinu Bachaye and many others, it is my job as one who exists in the world to look around But first, to have decided in myself that what I have, what I get, is relevant to me, and what other people have, and what other people get, is relative to them. And I have to somehow develop a certain faith that what I get is what I need to get. But clearly, as you know from experience, or as you can imagine, this is a hard test. It's hard to do. So why doesn't the Torah simply suggest or even require of us that we create a society in which there is no inequality and then no one will have to experience the challenges and the difficulties of Lotachmod? And one answer to that that I think is pretty obvious is that the Torah wants us to work on this. The Torah wants us to gain control of our hearts, to gain control of our thoughts to the point where we can eliminate such desires that we would have for our neighbor's donkey or our neighbor's spouse, different desires. Bezrat Hashem. We are meant to operate in a world of difference, a world in which some people have more and some people have less. 
and to work on ourselves to gain control to the point where we will not feel this envy. In this sense, there is a different task and one I believe that everyone participates in, which is for all people to be able to have what they have, whether they have a lot or whether they have a little, and to work together to cultivate a society in which that unevenness does not inhibit people's capacity to stay clear of violating this mitzvah. What I mean is it would then also be under the responsibility of people who have more to have more in a way that doesn't interfere with other people's challenges around lotachmod. So a person would be required to not flaunt what it is that they have. And this would indicate a whole other sensitivity. One that the Torah is comfortable discussing in which people who are fortunate enough to have plenty or to even have more than they need are also tested. Our tradition sees having and lacking as two situations, each of which includes its own tests. The test of not having and possibly envying and overriding that. The test of having and remaining sensitive to the plight of people who have less, not just in terms of giving tzedakah, but also in terms of maintaining an environment in which people who have less will have minimal obstacles in terms of accepting that they have what they have. Whereas if people who have more flaunt what it is that they have, this will create greater obstacles for people who have less. A story that describes a community or a society in which there are people with different levels of wealth who are functioning positively and consciously amongst one another is offered by Rabbi Nachman in the 12th story of his Sibre Masiot called the Baltfila. Rabbi Nachman describes a man who is deeply convinced that the entire purpose of life is to serve God. And he makes it his personal task to engage with people who might be open to that and to bring them on board, as it were. And he would enter into communities and find a person who seems to be operating in the context of values that society has determined, like status or wealth. And this person might think that the entire purpose of life is to try to achieve those things. And this Baltfila, this master of prayer, would be able to anticipate or figure out that a particular person, though they were functioning in the context of the rat race, were really not bought into it. And Rabbi Nachman, sorry, the Baltfila, would speak with this person and ultimately convince them that there's another way to live, that they could live their life devoted towards service of God. And if a person finally agreed that they would uh, join 
the Baltfila and that they agreed and they would move their lives in the direction that he was recommending, he would take them to his camp, to his commune, as it were, outside of the community. And there they would ex- exist together and they would pray and they would learn and they would confess and do tshuva and sing. And Rabbi Nachman says about this community, he says, The Baltfila, the master of prayer, he was able to give each person what they needed. And if the Baltfila, if the master of prayer understood that there was a person among his followers that according to that person's mind, that per- and in order to serve God, that person needed to wear golden clothing. Gildengishtik. He would provide that for him. And so to the opposite. Sometimes a certain wealthy person would come close to the Baltfila. And he would remove that person from the community the city, the town where they were living and bring them out to his camp, to his commune. And this Baltfila, this master of prayer, understood that this wealthy person, this wealthy person now needed to go about in clothes that were torn. He would guide him in that way. According to what each person needed, that's how the Baltfila, the master of prayer, would provide for that person. This vision of a sort of utopia in, that does not require equality or evenness, as it were, the equality that underpines this environment is that everyone is getting what they need. It's surprising. It's a surprising image and one that comes in stark juxtaposition to the country of wealth that Rabbi Nachman describes later in the story, a place where everything is determined only by the amount of wealth that a person has, where there's an inherent hardwired inequality, as it were, with only one factor, which is wealth, as opposed to here in this utopia outside of the city where the common denominator is not wealth rather it's devotion and in the context of devotion everyone is committed to seeing what they have and what they need as being a part of their capacity to serve god it has nothing to do with their status their status in a sense is equal their status is a status of equality where everyone is devoted towards the same thing. Some people need more in order to do that. Some people need less. Halavai, that we could see our own selves as provided for, as provided with the exact level of wealth or not wealth that we need in order to do the work that we are doing in the world. And in this sense, this 10th commandment, not to envy, is deeply connected to the first commandment. I am Hashem, your God. I am the one who is providing everyone with what they need. 
exactly what they need in order to do the work that they need to do. Not to say that this relegates people to the level of wealth into which they are born or the level to which they have reached. Rather, it tells a person that this place in which I find myself is as good a place as any other place in which to start the work of devotion and of serving God. Hopefully, we can all reconcile ourselves with the station in which we find ourselves. And hopefully, we can all see ourselves and each other as co-travelers in this journey and to do everything we can to support each other in the work that we all need to do. Amen.